Hi, and welcome to the Just Riding Along show. Hey team, a race that is near and dear to me in my hometown is coming back for 2024, the Slide and Enduro Series. For the month of April, you can do the weeknight series each week for a cumulative weeknight standing, or just come to race all four stages in one day with the one-day race. New for 2024, there will be a bonus stage for pro and expert. What Mike, the awesome race director, is looking for is sponsorship for the entire series. There are a few tiers of sponsorship. A gold sponsor is $1,000, silver is $500, and bronze is $250. These can all be cash or equivalent product at wholesale value. All levels will receive their company logo on the event shirt in varying sizes based on their sponsorship level, but the gold level will go on the event posters and banner. If you're wanting to go for gold, you need to have your info in by March 10th. For silver and bronze, you need to have your info in by April 1st. No matter what level you choose, you'll be helping make racing and Salida possible so we all get more podium opportunities. You can reach Mike directly at info at to receive the sponsorship agreement and stay tuned. We will be doing a bonus JRA in the near future that interviews Mike so you can get to know him a little and learn how he puts on such an awesome event for Salida. Hello and welcome to episode 132. Tonight's show is brought to you by Bin Laden Weed. <laughs> That's right. That Bin Laden Weed. It is a Project Pat, right? Uh, just a 3-6 Mafia song. The 3-6 Mafia song. It rips. It slaps. I'll it put does. a clip in here. Who got that hydro? Who got that light green? Who got that Bobby Brown? Who got that Latin weed? Does everything you could want to do uh, and more. So for Clayton, who I know loves old rap or that era of rap, uh, there you go. Wet dream. This is the Clayton episode. <laughs> uh, so since Kenny is the uh, grand leader and said that we start with what we've been doing. Do you want to go first, Kenny, since it's your idea? Yeah, sure. Nothing crazy for me. I rode the fat bike again last weekend. Yeah, it was good. The bike's been working surprisingly good. I've had zero issues, zero hiccups with that whole drive system. So as slightly ghetto as it is, which is a a CYC photon on a frame it's not supposed to be on with powered DeWalt by DeWalt batteries. batteries. <laughs> it works really good. So, yeah, been pretty happy with it. Conditions were just interesting. The place I ride, the conditions are all over the place. Sometimes it's like slick snow on top. Sometimes it's icy. Uh, sometimes it snowed four feet and nobody's been down the trail yet. Uh, other times it gets chewed up by snowmobiles. In this case, it was snowmobile traffic. So, yeah, you just you get stuck in a track, essentially. Not from the back track, but usually from a ski. And it's very difficult to not crash, even like just trying to go <laughs> in a straight line while climbing. Oh, yeah, I've had that. Like, even on stuff that's been groomed and then snowmobiles have ridden on it. Because here, there are some, like, forest roads where the snowmobile club in the area has a snowcat and they groom it for everyone to mm -hmm. use but yeah like those ski tracks like they get like they kind of like they'll freeze over and you'll like slide into one and just teleport yeah it was tough everybody around me was crashing a lot too it was pretty entertaining but that's about it for me this weekend i am gonna go camping i don't usually camp uh my definition of camping is i'll probably sleep in my car and have a whole bunch of toys and motos and heated blankets and 
generators and all that kind of stuff and every piece of kitchen equipment that I own. <laughs> You're going to have we'll an air fryer there. there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going to make... Uh, it's a big group of people. I think we're going to do meat rice. So you got to have a lot of stuff to make meat rice. So, Kenny, did you see uh, the link that I sent you about a meaty lab-made rice? I saw, like, the title. I didn't actually read it. Can you make meat rice more meat rice if you make meat rice with meat rice? I don't know. On one hand, I think it's pretty cool. On the other hand, I don't know. It's maybe weird, but I'll read the article. They're porous grains that are packed with beef muscle and fat cells grown in a lab. The rice it doesn't sound coated cheap. in fish gelatin to help the beef fish culture. <laughs> uh... Yeah, that's weird. I don't know how you grow. I'm not sure how you grow muscle. Even lift. Didn't we grow an ear on the back of a rat or mouse or something once? I I think so. I don't know if one of those has ever been transplanted, but I think it's been grown. Hmm. Well, anyway, that's it for me. All right. Matt, what about you? Or you want me to go? Making out a list because I got a lot of stuff. Okay. Well, I'll go because I don't have a lot of stuff. Oh, well, then you go. Uh, I have not done anything I think our listeners are really going to be interested in other than today I rode my bike a little bit Matt and I went to a CrossFit class Matt will talk about that because it was his first one ever and then we rode single speeds which maybe wasn't the best idea don't don't talk more about my single I won't I won't maybe wasn't the best idea but we did it anyway and uh, it was it was fine Uh, the trails in Salida are kind of a mix of Totally dry, small patches of mud, and just like snurt, like snow dirt mix. So, you know, there's some stuff that's rideable, but for those of you on the front range that want to come out and like escape bad weather or something, I mean, it's it's pretty nice in Salida, but, you know, the trails aren't at their prime right now. But, yeah, other than that, I've just been unsuccessfully mountain lion hunting, like ultra unsuccessful. Like, I haven't seen a mountain lion track uh, in... A long time, so <laughs> it's been a little rough, but that's really it for me. Oh boy, howdy. Yeah, so here's the Matt show. Uh, I took some time off, so didn't work Friday. Not working, so uh, Friday, I set to work, make it work. It, let me back up. When you end up needing to do a lot of stuff, to that, that, that sounds really silly, but, like, it's just the truth. It's like death by a thousand cuts. Like, one bike needs some sealant. One bike needs the chain lube. The other bike needs some new grips put on it. You know, and you, it all kind of stacks up to, like, a few hours worth of work. Right. So, I don't know if I talked about, I ordered a bunch of fancy parts for my, ordered them, but they hadn't came. Uh, so, my Stigmata is fully stupid now. Uh, it has, it, it's just, it's just set. So, uh, zip wheels. Red mullet XX1 drivetrain tie seat. Got those new Maxxis Reaver tires. Those I haven't ridden it yet because even though everything's ironed out and really here right now, melt off. So everything's just fairly dry and so riding on stuff to see they're really dry or really frozen. So Friday I worked on everything. Uh, finished up the Stigmata. I went through my fat bike and changed, like Andrea said, changed the grips, changed, uh, added sealant to the tires. Lube the chain, made it all happy, swapped the seat post around. I had a, I got a tie seat post on that as well. Um, then I dug in Epic Evo. Uh, didn't really need anything, really, but 
little stuff again sealant in the front tire new tire on the rear which uh fair warning if you think man these tires last and then you get a new rear tire and you're like wow that new recon looks way different than the old recon on the front uh yeah maybe don't do that maybe i should have bought two but whatever um i'll, I'll put her um then on the stump jumper i had pulled the crank from that stigmata so i took the crank off of the crave to dumpy and i took the seat post off of the crave to put on the stigmata and then use the post in the stigmata and put it on the fat bike and then put a different post in the crave and while i had the crank out of the stumpy i swapped the bottom bracket and then i was like well this is already kook i'm gonna put seal in the front tire i'm gonna put seal in the rear tire and set it up single speed so i set up my stump chopper single speed and yeah that's uh that's set and that'll come up later again in the show uh that was all on friday and then on saturday i went out and rode cottonwood crusher which is supposed to be a huge fat bike ride um it turned out it wasn't huge you park at about ten thousand feet and you ride up to the top of Cottonwood Pass just out of Buena Vista, or BV. I'll just call it BV so I can't get shafted by anyone that says I'm saying it wrong. You mean shanked? Shanked, shafted, obliterated, decimated, whether it be in the reduced by 10 or absolutely obliterated sense. But then they, like the route drops over to Taylor Park, and it gets gnarly, and then you drop back down. Um, it's like a gigantic lollipop. Yeah, it's 45 miles with a 30-mile lollipop. Yeah, like it's you start by climbing over the Continental Divide, dropping down to, I don't know, the lowest elevation on the other side. About 95. Yeah, so you climb up over 12,000 feet, drop down to 9,000-something feet, and do a loop, and then climb back up and over that same Continental Divide pass. It's freaking huge. Um, so uh, that... That went kind of as expected. I haven't been doing And it ended up taking me about, I'm not about, I'm looking at Strava right now, 348 total time with 311 of that moving on the fat bike. Pretty uh, pretty steady. So that was my Saturday morning. Went and had lunch with Jeff Kirko from Ergon and Mike Franco, who puts on Vapor Trail and the Slide Enduro. Uh, then after that, I went and... One of our listeners, Josephine Exotic, uh, <laughs> and we went to the climbing gym. And then on Sunday, I went back up there and I did the ladies' ride with Josephine and Amanda. Homanda. Homanda and uh, <laughs> Holy. You just gonna, gonna call women Ho something now? And Holy, because her name was Holly, so we'll just call her Holy. <laughs> and for what it's worth, I was the least crude person on the. Um, the least what? Crude. By a long shot. Uh, my hum- like I was blushing. <laughs> rough crowd. Super rough crowd. At, at one point, I was offered someone's buff while they were wearing it to uh, take care of my ass sweat from being slightly over. Uh, yeah, that wasn't a very long ride. The conditions were dry with wind or then no wind, but there was snow on the trail and we're on standard mountain bikes, so it was kind of like dicey. And then wind and then more wind and then coffee and then more wind so uh that was a bunch of uh so i I ended up spending probably including like excluding the coffee stop but leg over the bike i spent well over six hours in two days which is just way too much 
on Monday, I, I um, <laughs> oh, and then uh, helped Andrea slaughter. I hung out with Andrea while she slaughtered one. Of <laughs> I mean, it was a group effort. Yeah. We don't we don't have to go into the details, but yeah, he was um, being a problem, and now he is. That's a good way to put it. And then uh, Tuesday morning, I woke up, and Andrea was going to go hunt, and she brought me coffee, which was awesome. And I drank my coffee, and then I went back to. Uh, I I was like, Andrea's like, did you? Are you? She came up to get something out of her room, and like my light was off, and she's like, are you? Are you gonna go back to sleep? And I was like, yeah, I drank my coffee. I'm gonna sleep really fast. It's like <laughs> Five a.m. Oh, can we tell the other Matt talking in his sleep story? In a second. Um, and then uh, I woke up at like nine fifteen. I and I woke up like. And I thought it was going to be like 7, and it was after 9. Uh, and then I got up, had some food, did some stuff with the dogs, poked around, and then I uh, went and bought another Land Rover, inexplicably. Um, yeah, that that actually worked out amazing. I had the luxury of lowballing the shit out of someone and then driving a vehicle with poor brakes and rush hour traffic from the Denver airport to Colorado. That was that was definitely a learning experience. And then I slept some more today, and then I did cross. And then I rode the stump jumper, which for those curious, it's set up with a 30, 3-0 tooth, wolf tooth, ta- oh wait, wolf tooth tax here, uh, wolf tooth chain ring. It has a problem solver zinger XD converter, because I didn't want to swap the drivetrain or the free hub just to try this. I have the proper free hub, but I'm trying to do it speedy and simple. Just be um, able to like, Rip everything off if it doesn't work. Yeah, and then a roll-off chain tensioner and an eagle chain. And I've it's it's amazing. Um, I set it up, followed the instructions, which is let all the air out of the shock, ski strap to hold the wheel up, seat post. And I say that because I didn't put the, the ski strap around my frame. I put it above the seat post collar on the actual post, way less likely to scratch and stuff there. I'm that hard ended out on the carbon. Um, and really wrench down on the ski strap. And, I mean, it, it, of course, you're always going to be fighting the damper a little bit, but it was one of those things where it was obvious the chain had to be X long, like that last three millimeters of wheel travel or five millimeters of wheel travel. Like, the chain had to be that long either way. And set it up, and it, it works. I made it my shock. Uh, but it was really hard to pedal uphill today from crossfitting. But, yeah, that's... Uh, it feels really weird. I, I don't know how else we're going to try not to get to a discussion of sprung weight, but it's a lot of unsprung weight, your longer chain, the cassette, cassette and whatnot. And well, and you have some drivetrain efficiency loss. Well, that's not doesn't have anything to do with weight, but you do have, when your chain line's not perfect, there's a little bit of drivetrain efficiency that you lose. Yeah, um, and... The best way to put it is, is if you're over the back wheel driving the bike, like really rallying, it doesn't feel much different. Where it really feels different is when you're half wading through a like slightly downhill rock garden. You know, you didn't jump, but you sort of like lifted to try to float. The rear wheel way, way more. So I don't know. It was really cool. I don't know that it's going to live on the stump jumper forever. At least until the Salida Enduro while you race single speed? Uh, I don't know. The problem is, is that you run out of downhill speed on that bike. You know, how fast a proper gear that you can actually get up the hill sort of with, you're pretty quickly spun out going downhill. I so. mean, you have so long in between stages for that, I would just put a harder gear on it. I 
I don't think it's going to matter. Like, I was using my... We'll put, like, a 16 on there or something. We do 32-16. There is no way in hell I'm dealing with hey, that. <clears throat> one second. I'll be right back. All right. Okay, I'm back. All right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, though. everyone in the single speed class has to deal with the same problem. So... So did some people in the geared class. All I'm saying is, it would be a cool bike to race in an enduro. I'm I'm not riding it off yet, but I would really like to try that if I if I ever move that over to my Epic. Um, I would really love to get a lockout rear shock first because that would that would yeah. probably shave that bike down pretty close to twenty four twenty five pounds, which is not much heavier than my Crave with a fork was. So. And no dropper. So I, I think that would be... Yeah, I forget what the rocker weighs. You know, I built mine up super kook and got it to like 20 no dropper, but like the frame's not light. Yeah. Like it's, it's just not a light frame. It's a good frame though. You like it. Uh, so that's been my week. I'm going to go get a ride in tomorrow on the Epic. And uh, yeah, that's, that's me. All right. Do you want to do some new shit? Okay. So, starting with a little industry news, got Shimano annual sales down 30% in the bike division. Yeah, I mean, that's just I not mean, surprising. I mean, even without the recall thing going on, I, yeah, I don't know, just seems normal. Well, also, I mean, we all know that I, I bleed red because Team SRAM, whatever. You can make fun of me if you want. I don't care. But step back and look at this. Like, what did Shimano release? Uh, that Link Glide. Some drivetrain. Shimano's for, Shimano's for OEM sales stuff. are big. Now, granted, SRAM's OEM sales are giant too, right? They've but gotten in, a lot bigger. But in the aftermarket, I think more people are buying SRAM, and also at the same time, SRAM is being specced on more OEM bikes. But like I said in the beginning, Shimano should be pretty even keeled for the most part as far as demand goes. I think it's slowly, slowly creeping down. But what I'm getting at is that 30% reduction. It's not nothing drastic happened, I don't think. They haven't come out with any compelling products recently, I don't think. But surprisingly, I don't think that's the issue. It's just purely bicycle demand as a whole, as a big picture. Not that people don't want Shimano equipped bikes anymore. It's that people aren't buying as many bikes as they used to. Like straight up, well, real simple. But also, like in terms of compelling product, like when they released their new drivetrain, I think that was last year. But still, like, it's semi-wide. If you want robots on your mountain bike, well, you can't buy Shimano. You know, they, they're they just behind right now. Yep. Uh, and it does say in this article that the full-year loss from the 11-speed crank replacement program was 17,625 million yen. Just 551,000 more yen than its estimate for that program. Yeah, because they told people to just look at it. And yeah, because yeah, they didn't actually replace it. any of them. I was looking at that number thinking like, wow, that's pretty cheap. And it's because they didn't replace any of the cranks. Yeah, that that seems like it's going to be a problem in the future, but we'll see. You want to move on? Uh, different new stuff? Uh, let's do another one more bike industry article. You've got Giant has agreed to sell kids' bikes and mountain bikes at Dick's, Dick's owned specialty stores. So... Uh, Dick Sporting Goods owns uh, some specialty stores called House of Sport, Public Lands, and Moose Jaw. And uh, 
public lands is seen as the kind of REI competitor. And uh, they're uh, very similar. Like they have bikes. They have, um, let me see what brands. It was like Intense, Cannondale, and now Giant. Uh, you can get at the store. Uh, they have a bike shop inside, like, you know, service and whatnot. So uh, that's, you know, they're just trying to get their bikes in front of more eyes of people who maybe don't want to go to an independent bike shop. It's kind of the breakdown of this article or just the cliff's notes of this article. All right. You want to, you got anything else? Uh, I mean, there's some, some new uh, products. We've got Giro. This kind of goes back to what we talked about last week when we were talking about full face helmets. They are launching the new Coalition Spherical Lightweight Full Face Helmet. So another full face option that's a little bit more ventilated, you know, not so big and heavy. Uh, the, this one does weigh 800 grams in a medium. Uh, the Smith in a medium that Kenny uses, the Smith uh, mainline, is 770 grams. And that Kali Invader that our listener sent us a link for or said that he was looking at is 640 grams. So, But let's add in this caveat. This is not rated for down. I kind of wonder if the other one... Uh, yeah, the Smith one is rated for downhill use. And let's see if they say that in this article about Giro. Yep, DH certified. Okay. So, yeah, that super light one, not, you know, not, not your bike park helmet, but, uh, you know, better for... People who just don't want to hit their face on trees when they're riding their normal trails. But I guarantee it's better at the bike park than my open face. Oh, yeah, helmet. for sure. Um, can I talk about a bike? Sure. So Mosaic released a new bike, the GT1 or GT-1 AR. And it is it's doing what I said it was going to do. So if you hop in your time machine, don't go fuck yourself. Um, Close your eyes. It's a they're they're building this as an all road bike, but it has clearance for thirty eight millimeter tires, and I love it. And what I called a long while back was we're going to see gravel segment. We're gonna you know mountain bikes started as mountain bikes, and you just fucking rode in the mountains off. And gravel bikes were the same. You just went out and rode gravel on your gravel bike. And if you want to ride single track, you rode that bike. And if you wanted to ride really fast, smooth gravel, you rode. And I really respect that they're calling this an all-road bike. Um, and they've got some, I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but essentially uh, they, they pick smaller tubing for this that's aimed at comfort instead of just flat out like sprinting prowess, let's call it. Um so they say comfort, longevity, and functionality, um, and you can spec it with fender and rack mounts. So it's basically an old touring bike that's been made modern. Well, no, it's a super capable road bike, and that's. But they're not calling it a gravel bike. You're de- people are definitely going to ride gravel on it, but it's 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 the road bike that most people need. And I think that by calling it a road bike, they're actually doing a good thing. Like this is a direct competitor to like a Domane and a Roubaix. You know, they're both getting up there in that 35, 38 millimeter tire clearance zone. Um, And I just, I see this as a slight, like we're starting to see more and more delineation in the world of gravel. And I love it. I I really do. I'm not being sarcastic at all because I hope that in 
three to five years, it just becomes a lot more normal to ask someone like, okay, cool. Are you going to go out and like, you know, cruise bike paths and crush paths and gravel roads and the occasional chunk? Are you going to go out and rip the gnar and occasionally ride single track? Okay, cool. And then you can start showing them bikes. Just like now you can talk about, do you want a comfort bike? Do you want an aero bike? Do you want a climbing bike? If it's a road bike, you know, and, and I think that's good. I, and I, I really mean that because right now you could have someone that, let's say that they're riding a 2005 Le Monde, that, <laughs> that guy, but that customer would really love a specialized crux or they would love a, this, this GT dash one AR because it's still going to ride like their road bike. It's just going to be way more comfortable and way more capable. But they're not going to love a, I don't know, YT Spetzer or whatever their bike's called that's essentially a terrible drop bar mountain bike or a Diverge STR. Um, that's just it's just my opinion, man. <laughs> any any thoughts on that from, from y'all? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think it's cool. It's... And I, I think, yeah, like the customer you're talking about is definitely going to be a fan of that. Something that still looks like their road bike. You know, in their head, they might look at something like, not even the one you were talking about, the YT, but something like, I don't know, the Kona gravel bikes, and they see... Or the current Roubaix. Or, sorry, Diverge. Yeah, maybe, but, you know, they look the at... The new some- Diverge is rowdy. Yeah, they look at some gravel bikes like the Kona and they see a super sloping top tube and they see wide, wide handlebars and really big tubing and it's really heavy and all that stuff. And, you know, they they might kind of like turn their nose up at it and say, ah, I don't really want that. That doesn't, that doesn't look familiar. You know, it's what they're really saying is that doesn't look like something that I would ride, even if it would be something that would be really comfortable for them. So... You know, what you do is you make just a more capable road bike that's going to be comfortable for most people riding most roads. And, yeah, I mean, it's just a really nice option to have out there. So can we cover all the different iterations of drop bar bikes? It's pretty crazy. Yeah. And this is meant this is meant to be snarky for sure. But you've got road race bikes. We have endurance bikes. Hold on. Wait, can can we throw in a, an example on each one? Uh, sure. So, road race bike, what comes to mind for you? Uh, a Tarmac. Trek Madone. Okay. But even Tarmacs, like, that's a whole, yeah, that line is maybe getting blurred because they can accept such big tires. But, arrow, generally speaking, some arrow tube shapes going on, and, uh, yeah, all the other geo things that make it a race bike. So, road race bike, you got a Tarmac. Uh, uh, what's and the Cannondale... Uh, let's not get into Cannondale. Their stuff is really confusing right okay. now. And then you have an endurance road bike. Like a Domane. Which is a Domane or a Roubaix. Even the Roubaix line is maybe getting blurred. And then you have a cyclocross bike, which is arguably a dying breed of bike, but it still exists. But a true cross bike, pretty rare in 2024. Yeah. Pretty rare. Something made for Then you have, obviously we've got blurry lines and gravel, but let's say all road. So what would an all-road bike be right now? I've seen a lot of all-road components, but I can't like think of an all-road bike. Am I crazy? Well, I think that's where actually the, the current crux comes in. And I, th- I think endurance, a lot of the endurance okay. road bikes okay. kind of 
are in that all road kind of category, really, if you start to look at tire size and fit and all of that stuff. I think so. So, and you may have mentioned this a little earlier and I might have missed it, but in your definition, what would, what would an all road bike be? It's a, like that Senator when talking about pornography, you know it when you see it. <laughs> and I, I'm, what I mean is it's still a road bike. Yeah, it's like and, a road bike that accepts. It probably has a slightly more relaxed geometry. Still has a, what you would say, quote-unquote, normal width and flare handlebar. But maybe to interject here, because I wasn't done when you interjected, is I think that right now this all-road and gravel is suffering the same as downcountry. We need to look at the bike's DNA, right? So do you think, is it more... Is it more of a ride quality thing than a geo thing? Well, I think it. I think the geo makes the ride quality. Oh, I think I, I just thought of like a big delineating thing. Is it made to hold a dropper post? That's not even that. To me, that doesn't enter because there's so many droppers, and if they cut a hole in the frame, that doesn't matter. But, well, I mean, like, did they shorten the seat tube on it? But okay, my diverge was a 58 centimeter with a 51 seat tube, but it was the sporty Diverge before it got super slack and super rowdy. So the Diverge was more of an all-road bike, and it it's closer to the current Roubaix than the newest Diverge. Right. So, again, I want to go back to that DNA. Like, is it a bike that's going to ride well on the pavement and great on gravel and terrible on single track, or is it going to ride terrible on pavement great on gravel and okay on single track you know and and that's to me the delineation of like like the all road gravelly stuff is the most exciting to me because that's how i want to ride it i want to have one drop bar bike so so a gravel bike which is more of the breed that's out there today that we know about those bikes i know there's a lot of different flavors yeah but generally speaking the gravel, the modern gravel bike, how would that compare to your fantasy all-road bike? Is it straight geo, or is it straight tire clearance issues, or is it all ride quality? I mean, I think well, it's I, all of those I things. I think the geo makes the ride quality. And when we talk about ride quality, it's where you're going to use it. So do you think that the gravel bike, in your mind, is the gravel bike slacker than your all-road bike? Yeah, probably a little bit. Not really, because this this all-road GT1 AR is probably pretty fabulous. And since it's all fully custom geo, it's hard to, like, pull it up and say. But um, I'm not answering your question on purpose here because, okay, if we want to talk geo, then I'll I'll pull some bikes up. Do we need to get into this in such depth? No, not necessarily. I'm more just saying in kind of a funny way, like, holy crap. There is a lot of drop bar bikes, which isn't that crazy, I suppose. There's a lot of different type of mountain bikes, right? You've got full-blown, like, Razor Edge, even hardtails. You've got those race bikes. You've got the ultra-short travel, still super sharp bikes, even though those are getting more rare. You've got the, uh, like, 100 mil travel stuff. You've got the 110 kind of blur-the-line stuff. You've got full-blown downcountry bikes. And then you've got just trail bikes and then <laughs> big trail bikes and enduro bikes and downhill bikes. It's wild. 
Yeah. And of course, you got slope. You got slope style in there. Yeah. I mean, I and all the like, other weird stuff. Kind of the way I see it is now you have as many options, or you're getting to as many options for drop bar bikes as you are for mountain bikes. You know, they're just very specialized, and you know your your average customer is going to really, you know, if they can't really research and hash through that stuff on their own they're just going to rely on the bike shop employee to kind of guide them into which one is right for them matt's pulling up geometry charts even though we don't really have to talk about it that much well but i want to like like my specialized crave and i understand that your fork trail and stuff and all that plays in but it has a 71.5 degree head tube angle my gen 3 or Gen 2, I don't know the number of it, but my 2019 Stigmata has a 72-degree head tube angle. And the new Stigmata has a 69.5-degree head tube angle. Dang, they didn't even fuck around there. <laughs> no. And, you know, so I think that when we start talking about those those newer, like, rowdier gravel bikes, how do they feel on pavement? They feel pretty dead. They feel pretty slow. That's because they're made to handle the thunder chunk at 40 miles an hour when you're descending a fire road in, like, belgian waffle ride or something but that's that's not me you know i want a bike that i can ride on all the surfaces around here that i wouldn't enjoy on my you know hardtail so it's it yeah i just like so it, it's really hard for me to put my finger on and that's why i kind of want to stay like in this idea of like dna you know like you look at the new stigmata and it's more like a highball than it is a road bike but you look at the older Stigmata, and it's more like a road bike than it is a highball. And it's, yeah. All right. Ready to move on? I have non-bike industry news. All right. Uh, so William Post, who worked for Kellogg's, he invented the Pop-Tart. He died. <laughs> oh, no. At 96 years old. I wonder if he ate a lot of Pop-Tarts. I think he did. I think he was pretty amped on them reading some stuff on here. It seemed like he was a pretty cool dude from reading this article so when do you think the pop tart came to market because i was very surprised by this i don't know but i just read about his life and uh it is not wait wrong william post (laughs) (laughs) well anyway pop tarts came to market in 1967 all right yeah this dude wait hold on that's not oh that that can't be right hold on there's no way that's right i'll have to that could be wrong um. Oh no! I'm, my bad. Earlier than that, 1964. What the fuck? This says 19. We barely had. We barely had electricity, and <laughs> they had pop tarts going. That's rowdy. Hold on, dude. We had pop tarts before we were on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of crazy stats. That is absolutely insane. I figured it would have take, taken NASA technology to get the pop tart, but apparently not. It looks like when they first came out, they weren't frosted. It was just kind of like a little pie with some jelly in it. I mean, they still sell unfrosted Pop-Tarts. I mean, who buys unfrosted Pop-Tarts? An an actual insane person. (laughs) He's the only person that would buy that. Guy I worked with a long time ago told me life's too short to buy off-brand Pop-Tarts, and I started buying real Pop-Tarts after that because he's right. You know what are good are the uh, Amy's Organic or Annie's Organic. I forgot which one of those it is, but... One of the bougie, crunchy brands makes basically an organic Pop-Tart, and it's pretty fucking good. 
Dude, Jerry Seinfeld is releasing a Netflix comedy in May called Unfrosted, the Pop-Tart Story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, crazy. Anyway, that's my completely random news story. We can move on. Uh, we've been sent this by a few people. The Tuba Light Diamana. I think that's it's either, either Diamana or Diamana. The fastest mountain bike tire liner because of Venturi airflow inside your tires. Uh, basically, it's a tire liner, and rather than sitting flush with your rim bed, the design of it leaves an air channel underneath, and there are places where the air can escape, so when your tire hits something, square-edged, uh, it basically it slows down, or they claim that it slows down the rebound of the tire because of that design. So you end up with more control and less... I guess, uh, like, loss of momentum as you're going over something because your tire's not bouncing straight back in the direction that it came from. I mean, it sounds plausible. I'd try it out. But tuba okay, light. So tuba light. Physics PO, question. P.O. Box 82, Howard, Colorado. Physics question for you and also for the listeners. If you were to install a small fan <laughs> inside of your tire... That's not it, how. That's and not. It, that's, and it blows in one. It blows in a direction, and it is now making air go in a circle around your tire. What will that do? No, they're talking about when the air transfers from one side of the liner to the other. Yeah, well, that's not saying, what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about what happens when you put a fan in your tire. Kenny, we're editing that part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, wait. Hold on, we're going to brainstorm this live. This Okay, so the fan couldn't live inside of the tire because you would strike it on a rock, right? So You would have well, to like, put it too no, into no, your tire? What, what you'd have to it's do, a flexible. it's a flexible fan. No, the fan would live outboard of the rim, like on the hub side. Yes. Oh, for sure. And there'd be some piping. And then piping. it would blow into a tube, yeah. There'd be some piping that came out that molded around the spokes as an inlet, and then it would mold around a spoke on the other side as an outlet. And then you'd have one on either side of the wheel to ensure constant airflow around the wheel. And it's going to take SRAM Axis race day batteries when they ever release those. And they're only going to weigh 597 grams extra per rim. So you're going to have a roughly 1,000 gram rim. So, yeah, it's a funny shaped tire liner. Yeah, it's interesting. It's not the lightest tire liner out there. I think the Vittoria Airliner is slightly lighter. But, uh, you know, the airliner doesn't have, you know, little air gaps that slow down your rebound. So maybe it doesn't work as well. Maybe you'd never know the difference. Moving on. The company 5Dev is now making something they call the Mullet Mod. So you can put SRAM 1x transmission onto your non-UDH specialized gravel bike. We already talked about this. Really? Didn't we? No, I don't think so. I think we I mean, did. This is, a, this is a new article. This is on, from the 12th. I, yeah, I've but that one's, that's, seen been out, that's been out for a minute. And maybe yeah. it was another brand. It might not have been 5Dev. It was maybe somebody else that was doing it. No, 5Dev is, is doing it. I only have one problem with this. I understand why they're doing it, but I don't like it. Which is they don't sell the piece. You can only yeah, buy you have a to buy the whole kit. It's fifteen hundred dollars, but you get I think chain cassette derailleur and the adapter piece. So instead of selling a hundred dollar part, they sell you a hundred dollar part and then get the margin on the other fourteen hundred dollars worth of parts. 
Yeah. And also, I don't think that frame is designed for the derailleur to rotate as far as it might. So, you know, your mileage may vary. Yeah, that's kind of the thing I was thinking is, are those frames made for the shifting, I don't know, power? Not the shifting, but like when the derailleur rotates. Like if you do like have the derailleur do a rotation like a UDH is supposed to, if you go back up and look at that diverge, like the frame sticks out behind yeah, that. Yeah. So I don't know how well that's going to... And this this article, they don't actually show the fucking There's, piece. They, they don't show it on their website. So it's just basically in this... All you can see is that there's transmission on a specialized gravel bike. You can't see how it actually happens. It's I know how it happens. It's very simple. It's it's just replacing the existing derailleur hanger with something that is modifying it to be UDH to accept transmission. Well, it's an axle and a nut. Um, axle and spacers that go on either side of the bike. It's like axle and spacers for both sides of the bike. Yeah, so you're not using the correct bushing for transmission either. So when your shit doesn't shift right... You, five dev is going to point at specialized. Specialized is going to point at five dev, and then five dev is going to point at SRAM, and your shit's never going to work right if, if it doesn't work right. All right. Next thing. I know Matt's going to love this. This is the Toot Asha RR Ultra Aero Road Bar. Uh, started out as a bar for track racing, and it is a tiny, tiny little aero handle road, bar, or road handle bar. And it's, let's see, has a very long reach because kind of like how we were talking about the very wide drop bars you can get now for gravel bikes that have extremely short reach. So this one has a long reach to keep your hands, uh, you know, kind of, I don't want to say in the same position because you are moving them closer together, but that means you need them also further away to maintain like the same hip angle. But... Uh, yeah, it's this tiny little bar that's made for people that want to have an arrow, the most arrow road bar that is still UCI compliant. How narrow is it? Just a second. It's 350 at the drops. It's 24 centimeters wide at the hoods. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they have a 20 degree flare, but uh, they say that the company says that it's not a flare. It's a nonlinear curve, which they have actually patented. I'll take a pair. Yeah. How much they is? Uh, I don't know if they're actually available now. It said something about they were three D. They three D printed some for um for testing. Oh yeah, yeah. Those are right now. They're just three D three D printed out of stainless steel and they weigh three hundred and sixty to four hundred and eighty grams. Yeah, I'm not into it. <laughs> I I think it's kind of cool. I don't want a steel handlebar. Well, it'll be carbon eventually. All right. What else we got? Hold on, I'm just kind of looking at this to... Uh, oh, we're getting to pricing. Yeah. Oh, the carbon one's actually cheaper, it sounds like. So the standard 3D printed steel is 1,390 euros, uh, or just 429 euros for the carbon bar if you pre-order now. Did you skip... Why did you skip over the 3D printed um, standard geometry in... So you can get standard geo steel for 1,390 euros... Standard geo tie or custom geo tie or steel for 1,990 euros or 429 euros for the carbon. There you go. I mean, it looks kind of cool. 
Yeah. I mean, I would try it, but. Uh, I want to get to, we had uh, Jake, superfan Jake, send us a link to this company. Wait, called... actually superfan Jake? Yeah, actual superfan Jake. This was in patron Slack. Uh, he sent the link to this company called Close the Gap, and they make a few little, like, interesting handlebar stuff is all I could really describe it as. They have a, a Hide My Bell computer mount. It's basically a little clamp-on computer mount that has a bike bell underneath it, and they say it's uh, very discreet and very loud integrated bell. It looks a lot like a spur cycle bell, so I'm, I'm guessing it's as loud as one of those. Uh, they also have some kind of bar ends, like the clamp-on, like, by your shifters on, on a flat bar kind of a grip that sticks out forward of your bar. And then they have a bar end plug. It's not really a plug. It slips over the end of your bar, which I think is cool because I've always hated putting plugs in bars because half the time you have to use a fucking hammer when you tape the bar. So I think that's kind of cool. All right. Yeah. Close the gap. It's all it's all very reasonably priced as well. So It all looks very 3D printed. Yeah, it does. They just make cool 3D printed stuff. Hmm. I'm glad I don't work in a regular bike shop. Because <laughs> when people, would, if someone asked me like, how do I put a Garmin on this super integrated, whatchamacallit, I would just, my head would explode. Well, and this, this company makes computer All mounts those. for pretty much any integrated style handlebar that you can imagine. BMC, Canada, Canyon, Cervelo, Colnago, Cube, Data, Factor. FSA, Giant, Lapierre, Marita, Orbea, Pinarello, Ridley, Scott, Sensa, Specialized, Stevens, Trek, Willier. All right. Uh, I just wanted to we, practice. Can we really quickly go back to that 3D printed bar? Sure. Um, one of the bikes this is on, it's one of the later pictures. They show the bike kind of from the front. It's got a slammed upside down stem, of course. I don't even know what the fuck is going on with that bike send they me a link in the look chat at that like are you talking about the one the picture of the guy riding or the bike without no a person this on is it? just a bike and it's like i guess it's maybe like a track bike or something yeah it's, yeah, got, it's definitely it's a single speed situation going on there yeah uh, looks like... let's see copy image address all right so i'll throw this in the chat like what is happening it looks like somebody it's ran got a really it weird into top tube. a garage because it's got a like the down tube is kinked and I don't know if that frame is like brazed or something. And the fork is like fork arch is way too tall. It's everything about it is messed up. Makes me scratch my head. It's, it's gotta be a track bike because if you look at the rear wheel, it's got like a bolt in drop uh, hub. Yeah. Yeah. But man, is that thing weird. Yeah, I mean, also weird... the fact that it has no brake levers. Yeah, it has no brake levers, but yeah, I mean that's um, that's just track bikes are weird. Are you looking trying to find it? I'm trying. Did that link work? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I found it on that page and showed it to me. Yeah, that's look that's like a brazed-in gusset-looking thing, but I don't like it either, Kenny. It well, does it's, look broken. It's, it's kinked in or something. Well, but that gut. I think that that tube is capped. And that gusset is on top of that cap. Also, look at the seat stays. Like, maximum air flowage. You have to remember that some track riders are fucking gigantic and will rip a 
frame apart when they launch on the track. So uh, they make some really weird shit to compensate for that. But everything about all the things that I'm seeing, also the picture in that article right above it, look how crooked the damn front wheel is. Like, <laughs> what the fuck? Also, look at the stem clamp. The I stem know, clamp doesn't like, fit <laughs> in doesn't the bar. It doesn't fit on the bar. Like, there's just so many things that are so weird. As bougie as this thing's supposed to be, you better be bougie. And why? Wow, or how, like, the in that picture where the, the wheel is crooked, how, like, the grip tape that's on the bar is all like ripped off and smudged looking all right we should keep oh, we should keep man. moving also yeah we don't, on the we actual, don't have to keep talking about this the bars on the actual road bike whatever weird little pluggies and like the uh, it tapers down or something it's really that is like the most disgusting and there's like random lumps in the bottom of it oh just super gross yeah it, uh last thing Kenny, this is just for you. Trek Marlin adds a Bosch e-bike to their popular hardtail. So it's like an entry-level hardtail e-bike from Trek. That is true. Do you guys sell many of those, or is Specialized kind of your main? Well, that, that seems like something that, Yeah, like, that does seem like something you would be able to sell pretty well in a bike shop, is like the entry-level rider that just comes in like they don't own a mountain bike and they're like i want an e-bike but i don't want to spend a lot of money yeah we sell the specialized tarot it does pretty good the levo is still definitely the number one just where we live in utah but the tarot is pretty reasonable it's a hardtail pretty cool bike uh yeah i think we have a few of those treks on order so once i see one and build one and mess around with one i'll let everybody know but yeah i think it I'm sure people will buy them. Right. How many American doll hairs they use? I think they're like low twos. 27. Uh, 2700. <laughs> High twos. <laughs> Golly. With a Sun Tour fork. 2700 bucks gets you a Sun Tour fork. Yeah, that's uh that's tough. How much does that bike cost as not an eat? What is a About Marlin? $700. Yeah, like a Marlin with a Sun Tour fork and the whatever Shimano Q's drivetrain. Kenny's like, I don't know. I don't sell bikes anymore. Yeah, Kenny's anymore. like, ah, fuck it. I don't sell those. <laughs> Do we want to go on to listener questions? Sure. Unless Kenny has more new shit other than Pop-Tarts. No, I don't think so. I think we should do some questions. All right. We've got from Chris. Chris says, hey, gravel bike question for y'all. I'm currently running SRAM Force Explore Axis 1042 one by. 1044. He says 42. It's a 44, well, but that's okay. It's a 44. Okay. Unless they're running it with an 11-speed 1042 cassette. Oh, I guess that's possible, right. right? Maybe? I don't know. I'm cu- currently running Force Axis 1040-whatever, one by, and have two wheel sets, one for gravel and one for road, with the same size cassettes. want to switch to an Eagle 1052 for gravel. My question is, can I keep the Explore cassette on my road wheels and just run it with the Eagle chain and derailleur, or do I need to switch everything over to Eagle? Do they make an Eagle cassette smaller than 1050? I live in the mountains of Virginia, so the extra gears wouldn't be outrageous, but I haven't needed them yet, and if I can save a buck or two, I will. Full Eagle. Straight to jail? Yeah, I mean, it's just, can you make it work? Maybe. Is it going to work properly? No. So. Well, what I would do is try it first. No. And if you don't like it? Put an Eagle cassette on there. But here's the problem. That cassette isn't made for a non-flat top chain. So when you're running an 
like you're gonna have to run an eagle derailleur and an eagle chain like a 12 speed axis mountain bike stuff and then you're gonna be in this situation where your b tension is so different between the two that you're gonna have to swap your chains anyways and if you're swapping your chains why not just unbolt the rear derailleur and swap the rear derailleur like you're not gonna take up that six or eight tooth difference depending on which cassette you go with with b tension so everything's happy in the in the big cog so well i say buy an extra eagle cassette try it without the eagle cassette and if it works it works if it doesn't put the eagle cassette on there if it works you've got a spare eagle cassette for your other wheels whenever they wear out yeah because really for road like i mean i've ridden a lot of mountain bikes on the road and if you're trying to do some kind of like kind of interval training or something where you're trying to hit a specific no it's hard that equal cassette has big jumps in it when you're on smooth stuff yeah so like i know it i I mean i'd understand on a road bike wanting to not use an eagle cassette so i think you know give it a try see if it works for you and it probably won't but it might so try it i don't think you're gonna you're not gonna like break anything um you're just gonna have shit shifting if it doesn't work you know, we we wouldn't say try it out if you're gonna like really. You know. uh, you, you don't know that though. Things <laughs> might get like if because if you if you swap to that different cassette, you don't have your B tension set all right. It's gonna it's gonna get awful fast. And realize that B tension comes down to chain capacity, and chain capacity. I'm not talking about cassette, like rear derailleur capacity. I'm talking about how much chain is being used in the system. And you're going to have a difference when you're in your 44 of either six or eight teeth of total chain being used. And because the way the upper pulley is offset, so the deeper into the travel it gets in terms of like the lower pulley moving forward makes the upper pulley move lower, your your B tension is going to be all fucky and your shit's going to rub together and it, it might explode. I don't know. Like your bike might catch on fire like some Rick and Morty shit. Who knows? <laughs> I just found that close the gap makes some bar ends that I have to buy. Yeah, that's what I I think that's what I was talking about. Yeah. It's like a a little bar end, but it sticks out like it, you clamp it around where your brake clamps on. <laughs> it's like a tog but really big. God, I'm so kook. <laughs> what else are we going to talk about? What are uh, the we questions? we have these Instagram listener questions if you want to knock a few or do a few of those. That's kind of why I, I haven't like pressed to a uh, answer these right away because now we have them for when we're light on other content did we answer this one from frank the tank i don't know but we should today because of who we met today okay so frank wants to know favorite defunct events of years past favorite places to visit previously you'd want to visit again well i think we could cover that in one place an event that would be silimo's revenge and I would like to go back to Silimo because, as we kind of talked about briefly uh, a while back, there are some local guys who own a bike shop, well, like an outdoor store with a bike shop up there, who are doing some major trail rehab. And they're hoping, they've put some running events on, and they're hoping to bring back a Silimo's Revenge type race. So uh, that that's definitely one of them for sure. Uh Kenny, I know that you're not huge into racing anymore, but wasn't Spa City six hour just such a fun event? Spa City was really fun. Did they stop doing that yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not that it's the most amazing trail. It was cool. It's just a neat place. It's kind of like out there. 
um, not so far away from civilization that it's a pain to get to because it's pretty close to um, hot springs. Yeah, hot springs, that's which it. isn't far out of Little Rock for those that aren't yeah, Arkansas yeah. friendly. But it feels when you're there, it feels like you're you're like nestled pretty, off. You're in pretty the far woods. out there. Yeah, but that was just a fun. That was a fun event. I treat that a lot like Silamo. Silamo was always rowdy because you never knew it could be a tornado or it could be, uh, you know, just straight up raining. It could be super good conditions. You just never knew. And the trail could be in like really good condition or really bad condition, not because of the weather, but because of actual like the trail itself. Um, but the problem for me is I almost don't want to ever go back and do that. Not because I don't race. It's just because it's like, don't meet your heroes. That was fun because it was new and the trail was so different than the Memphis trails that it was cool. You go out of town, it's like some rocks. There's like more elevation. It was way more raw, but the problem is I ride really good trails now. (laughs) So I don't think... I want to ride bad trails. So I know that's really mean, but I'm just being realistic. Well, you know what Matt and I found like when we went the time that we uh, hit a deer on the way back, uh-huh. uh, we rode our full suspension bikes there mm-hmm. and it wasn't like there are places where it was definitely like better than a hardtail. I mean, I always, I rode single speed there because like there was always just shit wanting to break your derailleur off. So Riding the full suspension, I mean, there's definitely places where it's like, oh, I remember that little rock garden being way harder, but now I can just pedal through it and it's not a problem. <laughs> but but with that said, that terrain did not really do well. I was riding my YT over Forge and Andrea was riding her spot rocker. That's really like an epic Evo trail. It's not like there would be times yeah, when you were grinding sure. away on this like very, very gentle uphill nothing was that steep there but there were definitely sections where you you climb there would be a section where you'd climb almost like a thousand feet or at least 500 you just did it over time and there might be a couple tiny little punchy sections that were like rock techy but nothing was it's not the out west sustained steep climbing yeah or sustained steep descending so Like, you never went fast enough for the big trail bike to really be necessary. And on the climbing, it was really hard to keep it under control because because the trail isn't as big an elevation change, it's way techier. I also don't want to ride any of my old bikes. (laughs) I think I just don't want to. I don't want to know. I didn't know any better then. It was the best of what was available, (laughs) I think. I would ride the first gen Air 9 Carbon again. The, I'd be super big, interested to see what you think about the it. big. Well, that's why I like the rocker so much because it's like the modern geometry, slightly less of a, I don't know, like ass basher than the air nine, that first gen with the huge square tubing. Um, that thing was, it was like a fucking plank of plywood or something. Like it was just so stiff, but it was great for single speed because of that. Like you could just hammer on it and it wouldn't flex. And I mean, I feel sure. like the rocker is just like that bike, but way better. Like in all of the ways that that bike sucked, the rocker, like it has new geometry. It's got, you know, it's got definitely a little bit more compliance, but you can still just, you know, hammer uphill on it. It doesn't, it doesn't really flex or anything. So that's like kind of the only old one I think I would ride. All right. How- Hour 10. All right. Well, do we want to answer one more of these or do we want? Yeah. 
One more. Corey Feldman on Howard Stern, 1992. No clue. I was four years old. Next. I mean, I listened to a, a little Howard Stern, but not. It was. What, I guess. What's the question? Like, I've definitely. That was just. To Howard it was Stern. just a statement. Corey Feldman on Howard Stern, 1992. Oh, I guess I don't know. Yeah, I think like I was a, a I little assume... bit. I was a little too young for 92 Howard Stern for sure, because I was 18 and I was born in 1981, so I, I wasn't. I wasn't old enough to listen to Howard Stern. You were 18 and 92. No, I was born in 1981. So and, you were 11. Yeah, I was 11. Sorry if I. I was thinking I was 18. I, I, heard it, I heard an 18 in there. I think I was thinking about when I graduated high school in 99. I was Ah. Uh, apparently, it's... it's uh, Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll learn more later. Probably not. <laughs> uh, we have... This one might be good. So, this is from Notorious CVE. It says, in sales, how do you approach and talk with someone who may be buying their first bike? Versus an individual who has loads of experience and bike knowledge. Well, Kenny, you're not in sales, right? Yeah, Matt's the only no, one of us that's still I mean, in we, sales. Yeah, I mean, Matt's probably going to be able to answer this question better than myself. And everyone's got different sales tactics. We, we've gone through a lot of the Trek stuff. Trek does a pretty good job of like laying out the whole sales process. So they've got a good outline for that. And I don't remember all their points necessarily. But what I would do with my style is you just ask the person it should be one of the first questions you ask right is um and i know that's not the question is how do you find out but just ask people like hey what do you do right now what bike do you have right now what do you like about it what do you not like about it you just ask them questions so stop trying to sell them a bike and, and you just ask them questions what do they like to do what do they not like to do what what's been your experience what are you looking to do what do you think you <laughs> what do you think you want to do and then you can start talking and using personal experience um, but you also have to feel out there can be super experienced riders who don't want to talk about the minutia of tech and geometry. And you can just usually tell that pretty quickly. You kind of probe a couple of these questions, um, and you can tell pretty quick if they, if you want to get dorky, if you will, with that customer and some new customers want to get dorky right out of the gate and that's fine. So I know there's not like a clear answer to that, but yeah, just talk to them like they're a human being and figure out what they're after. Yeah. I mean, I've always found that like someone who is brand new and buying their first bike, they're more likely to, I guess they're more likely to ask you what they need. Whereas someone who has a bunch of experience and knowledge is going to come to you and at least say like, I need something to replace X bike or I need, you know, I have a cross-country bike and I want to buy a second bike that is an enduro bike. You know, like they're going to give you a little bit more focus on what they need. And they might just walk in and be like, I want that one and point to, you know, whatever's on the floor. But, you know, the newer person is, I think, going to look for you to have a little bit more guidance in helping them figure out what they need. Yeah, and, and I'm going to take a little bit of a hybrid approach between the two of them, which is... I mean, definitely what Kenny said. First, you need to talk to him as a person, right? And you don't know why that customer walked into your shop, but you need to, and, and this is going to sound super over the top, but number one, you need to be like, thankful for that opportunity. And number two, you need to be respectful of their time. You know, and it doesn't matter who they are, but they chose to come into your business and, and be a patron of you. And, and, you know, that's how capitalism and, and being a business works, right? Like, 
they're going to give you money and that's what you need, but you want them to have a good experience, right? So if someone's buying their first bike, maybe they went to two bike shops and they got blown off already. Or if someone's buying their fifth bike, maybe someone was trying to sell them whatever they had on the floor instead of listening to their needs and meeting them as a human and solving their problem. And their problem is they're not enjoying riding their bike as much as they think they will be on something different. Um, and, but definitely like Kenny said, I, I try to meet them at their level of nerd. Um, and you know, you can feel them out, right? Like somebody's like, Oh yeah, thinking about getting a new thinking about getting into mountain biking, never owned a mountain bike before. Oh, cool. Like, what are you doing now? Uh, Oh, I've been running some, Oh, like what kind of running do you do? And they're like, Oh, you know, my family runs a 5k every year at Thanksgiving. And you know, I just, my cousin, like I run just enough to be faster than him. Oh, or then somebody else is like, yeah, I, I do hundred Ks. You're like, Oh shit. Like you're already really fit and you're going to blow through this $1,200 hardtail immediately, you know, or maybe you have a new customer that comes in. They're like, oh, I've never had a mountain bike. And then you talk to them a little bit and they've been riding motocross for eight years. And you're like, Oh yeah, buddy, you're used to going really fast. Like you're, you're a way better mountain biker in three months than Jimmy in it who you know, walks around the office complex at lunch and has never driven a car spiritedly or anything is going to be after three months of riding, you know, or, and again, meeting them at their level of nerd. Somebody might come in and just, they want to buy their fifth jump jumper. You just sell them their fifth jump jumper. That's fine. You know, but it's, it's meeting that person and, you know, uh, giving them their attention that they deserve and, and, only giving them what they want you know you if you start talking about volume spacers and all this shit to some dude it's just like nah man like i've had five stump jumpers in the last 25 years i just get a new one every five years i don't give a fuck the new one's gonna be better i just want to buy a new stump jumper you're gonna turn that customer off right or i don't know some some new rider comes in and they haven't been like you know learning very delicate things to say to people like oh yeah have you ever had cycling shorts before Oh, well, you know, this part here, it's designed to be worn directly against the skin. You don't tell them to take off their underwear. You tell them to put this directly against their skin. You know, that's <laughs> that's that's a huge, like, all those little things that just time will help you with. You know, it's, it's not super simple. Um, and I think there's definitely people that are way better at sales than me that probably have a different answer. But No, uh, I think we got, we pretty much got it covered. But the last thing I want to say is, Ask them their budget. It yeah, matters. you got to have that in there somewhere. And and I always I always play like I don't want to ask it, but I'm like, ah, it's kind of a tough one. But like, what do you want to spend? And I, but I before I give them a chance to answer, I say I don't want to show you a five hundred dollar bike if you want to buy a five thousand dollar bike, or vice versa. Like, I just need to know like what part of the shop do we need to look in, and you know, I I want to make sure that you know what your budget is and what I'm showing you are aligned, and I. I think that's very like a humble way because you're then respecting their time. Like, let's get right into it, you know. And and then they hit you with a number. I want to spend thirty five hundred bucks, and then I hit them with a follow up. Okay, you want to spend thirty five hundred dollars on the bike, or do you want to spend thirty five hundred dollars with new shoes, everything, tax out the door? Like, and I just want to make sure we're being respectful of your your budget, and then. You also learn like, oh, they're going to want pedals and new shoes and they need a bike rack and they really have a budget of five for all that, but they want to spend 35 on a bike and five for everything. And then you're becoming their personal shopping assistant more than a salesperson. So, all right, I'll quit talking.
All right. You're going to run through patrons real quick and then shut it down? Yep, I haven't had patrons good. in a long time. Do you want me to do it? Do you want it? Yeah, you could. Do it. It's set up. It's, that's where you go next. All right. I'm going to close the other tab so I can't go the wrong way. All right. Starting at $10 a month, we got Zozo, Zach. Wilma Fingerdo, Will, Tom, P, Todd, Ty, Tennessee Zach, T Baggin, uh, Ken, Daryl, Joe, Josh from the Intesa. Uh, oh, Ooh, oh my God! Sort, Sorry, you you do the sorting. I was I was killing it, and now I'm not. We're not a well-oiled machine. We're a drivetrain that hasn't been lubricated since 2017. Uh, all right. $10 a month still. We got Taperboard Pro, Sam, Ryan, Richard Cheese, Ramo, Patrick Mahomes is my daddy, Parker, Pete Ennis, Noah, Nick, My Pal Dal, MTB Shenanigans, Lloyd, Leland, Kenny Sucks, Ken, Josh, Josh, Jeff, JC, Jake, D, Green Giant, Gordon, Frank the Tank, F That Guy, Mark, Ezra, Trilla, G, Evan, Eric, Dan, Cam Irish One, Billy Singlespeed, Bill, Bo, Barrel of Dicks, Baggins, Alec, AJ, Aaron. We got Esker Cycles at eleven sixty nine, and then Lead Out Sports and Josh and Tezza are giving us fourteen Rito mates. Uh, Dean has us at sixteen fifty Rito mates, and then twenty we got Scott, Poop Wrench, Joe, Brady, Anthony, Harley at thirty. Troy at 31, and Six Pack Outdoors at 50. All right. You guys got anything else? Nope. Shut her down. Damn, Kenny's on it. All right, everyone. Thank you all for listening, <laughs> and good night. Thanks for tuning in to the Just Riding Along Show.